Welcome to Parkview. Glad to have you here. Welcome to you watching on the internet. We're glad you're worshiping with us in your way too. Um, I'm going to talk about courage today, obviously. And, and the interesting thing about Daniel is that he's in a different place. When the whole world stands against you, that video said, that Daniel was able to stand strong because he was in a different culture. He's in a different place. And, and that is dear to me because at one point, a couple of weeks ago, I had none of my children on the same continent. I have three daughters. Uh, one of them married a guy from England on May 27th here, but his paperwork wasn't all done. He didn't have his papers, and uh, you know, so he, they had to go back to England. They just got back Wednesday from getting all the immigration stuff done. It's been ridiculous. They're back in Nashville, okay? Imagine what my grandkids are going to talk like. Can you figure this out? <laughs> you know, you got Jolly Good and Dub Bears and y'all all rolled up into one. I, I mean... They're not going. They're going to be confused. They're going to be from a different culture. They're not going to know what culture. My middle daughter Lauren is in Bolivia in South America for six months. She's there till Christmas working with girls that are coming off the street. She's in a different culture, and it's been difficult for her to, even though she's fluent in Spanish, to be able to understand the Bolivian Spanish and the culture and the stuff that goes on there. And my youngest daughter was in the Czech Republic for a while this summer, and I'm taking her to go to college in three weeks in L.A. There's not a different culture than L.A., is there? I, I, I mean, you know, so uh, th this is near and dear to me. This makes sense because, you know, when we do empty nests, we do it right. I mean, you know, you're all out of here. As we start to see Daniel today, um, <clears throat> Daniel is forced out of his comfort zone. The interesting thing about the story of Daniel is that a lot of you, um, you, you probably heard the story of Daniel and the lion's in. You're like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that story. Did you know that Daniel was probably 14 or 15 years old when he was literally abducted from his homeland and put in a different culture. I mean, it's always weird to be in a different culture. I've been in Africa, I've been in Cuba, I've been in Israel, I've been in Ecuador, I've been in a lot of different places, and you've always got to try to figure out, you know, the traditions and the language and what side of the road they drive on and why do they like soccer everywhere else you go, right? My son-in-law is trying to get me into cricket. I mean, there's always something different. And, 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 and it's also fun when you're on the other side and you see them come to you. Our daughter Lauren is in Bolivia, as I said. She's already got this girl that she wants to bring back with her from Bolivia, this 18-year-old girl that wants to come and live in the United States because that's what my children do. You know, your kids bring home frogs and kittens and my kids bring home people and husbands and stuff. My daughter, you know, brought home this husband, and now, and, and last, last fall we had Barbara from the Czech Republic living with us for five months, and it was so fun because we were on the other side watching her adjust to our culture. We're talking around the table one day, she's talking about student council, and she, she says, I'm going to vote. We're like, you're going to what? I'm going to vote. You know, I'm going to vote. And we're like, what? We don't understand. She said, finally, I will vote for you. Oh, vote. You're going to vote. Okay, I get it, you know. And, and, and she's talking to my brother-in-law, Jack, whose heart is bigger than his brain, if that explains anything to you. And she's, she's trying to explain her last name. She says, say Yakova. That's her last name. So Jack goes, Yakova. <laughs> this went on like, who's on first for a while, you know. It, it's always tricky. <laughs> say Yakova. <laughs> It's always tricky when you're in a different culture, and that's why I, I want you to have that preface as we go into the life and the story of Daniel, because Daniel is not in his own place. Now, I'll be honest with you, 
I've missed preaching here. I love preaching here. I love coming to my home people and hanging out here and preaching because you are my people. If I'm preaching out somewhere else, it's a different deal. They don't know me. They don't get my humor. You know, it makes me more nervous. And it's different when I'm out there. You know that when you're around your family and your friends in your own culture, you're, you're, more, you're more likely to have courage. And that's the thing that's really important for us to understand about Daniel before we even get into this. And you can turn in your Bibles if you can find Daniel in the Old Testament. We're going to just be going through this for four weeks. He is in a completely different culture. He's had to learn a different language. He's in a different place, okay? And that's why this story is relatable. Because I don't know what your different culture is today. But I'm guessing that you probably live and move in, in and out of one or another every once in a while. Maybe for you it's work, maybe it's school. I mean, those two venues are going to really relate a lot to the story of Daniel along the way. Uh, maybe you're like my daughter, you're getting ready to go off to college or go for the first time or whatever, and you know you are going to be going off to a completely different culture. This is why this is so relatable, because you're going to be out of your comfort zone, and that makes it more difficult. And sometimes when you're in that different situation, it's hard to see God. It's hard to see light in that tunnel of darkness and there's no evidence of God whatsoever which is why again it's so impressive that Daniel is able to stand apart from the crowd to be a person of God to stand up and be strong and not just blend in okay but before I jump in there are times when it's not smart to blend in like if you killed a guy went to prison and escaped doesn't make much sense to be on a national dating television show. But Chinese man Wu Gong, who had gone to prison for manslaughter and escaped, decided that 13 years on the, on the freedom was long enough and he was going to go on Chinese television. And sure enough, he got busted. I just got to show you this because it's too funny. <laughs> Yep, that's him. Wu Gong sang and danced on that dating show under the name of Lu Hao. But the face was familiar to at least one woman watching at home. She called the cops and swore that the guy charming the ladies on the TV set was escaped convict Wu Gong. The Chinese police did some investigative work and found she was right. <laughs> Sometimes it's just better to stay hidden. But Daniel doesn't do that. Daniel stands up, he has a good reason to, because God calls him to be somebody who is different. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. The king ordered the chief of, and his, of his court officials to bring some of the Israelites from the royal family and the nobility, young men without physical defect, handsome, showing aptitude for every kind of learning, well-informed, quick to understand, qualified to serve in the king's palace, and he was to teach them the language and the literature of the Babylonians. The king also assigned them a daily amount of food and wine from the king's table. They were, they were to be trained for three years, and after that they were to enter the king's service. And among these were from some from Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. This is the beginning of the account of a very remarkable man named Daniel. He was the best and the brightest of Israel. He was from the highest social standing back in Israel. He was physically flawless. He was a hothead and man, he was brutally handsome. <laughs> and if my wife 
Sorry, every once in a while it just happens. And my wife were doing this message. She say he was Brad Pitt, which is why I don't let my wife preach. But then I started thinking, you know, I'm dating my, I'm, I'm, I'm dating her. I'm making her age show a little bit. So you fill in the blank, okay? Depending on how old you are. Daniel was like Robert Redford, Kevin Costner, Brad Pitt, Leonardo DiCaprio, Bieber. Okay, you pick. <laughs> All right. Whatever age you are, you pick which person you think he is, okay? And I realized, yeah, yeah, I, the truth of the matter is, he was Bieber. That's what's so crazy about this. I think most of us grew up thinking that Daniel is this, you know, really old, seasoned veteran of a guy. He's 15 years old when he gets taken, and, and he's not just handsome and without physical defect. A lot of us qualify for that. He was also bright. I just kind of went right over you, didn't I? He was also bright. He was quick to understand. He, he, was, he, he had emotional intelligence and, intelligence and he had all these kinds of package put together and he was really, really impressive. Now, I tell you that because I don't want you to get lost in that. If you read this passage, you're like, oh, well, he had all this stuff. Okay? The t- point of the story of Daniel is not what he looked like. The point of the story of Daniel is who he looked like. Okay? Because even though he had all this stuff going for him, when he's thrust into this unknown culture, everything changes. I mean, back in Judah, yeah, he had it all going. He was from the right family. He would have grown up and had a great job, had a great marriage, had great kids, lived in a nice house. And, and he was a man of God, so he would have done great things for God. He would have had all those advantages. But, but then there's that verse again. Verse 1 says, Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. I want you to get a hold of that, Okay? I want you to understand this heartbreak that's going on here. The heartbreak of it, in case you don't know Jewish history, is that God came to Abraham and said, Hey, Abraham, I'm going to make a great nation out of you. I'm going to make everything come from your people, from your children. And then Isaac comes along and they have this nation. Then for a while it's good and then for a while it's not. And they get the people don't follow God and so he sends them to Egypt to live in exile in Egypt. And then Moses comes along and he rescues them and the nation of Israel goes into the desert and they get to the promised land and they're not strong enough in their faith and they say oh we're afraid and so God says okay you can't go in but your kids can go in so Joshua takes the kids into the promised land and they live there and they still have ups and downs they're faithful they're faithless they're faithful they're faithless up and down up and down until finally they get this king named David who is the man after God's own heart and he makes them the kingdom that they've always wanted to be and he builds Israel into this great nation and then his son Solomon comes along and builds the great temple so that finally they have their identity they have their own culture they have their own place but Solomon started to blow it and his son really blew it And God let other nations come in and capture him because he just couldn't deal with them anymore. And Israel and Judah became two parts of the kingdom. They became separated. And Israel has already been captured. So by the time Nebuchadnezzar comes along to capture Judah, he's basically taking the rest of the remnant of Israel, the rest of the people of Israel. So Daniel has lost his culture. He's lost his relationships. He's learning a foreign language. And he even loses his name. I, mean, I think this is important. In verse, in verse 7, you can see that Daniel and his three friends are, are all given new names. Each of their old names, their Hebrew names, had either El or Ah in them. Elohim or Yahweh had something to do with God. And, and their names reminded them that they served an almighty God. That was a part of their name. And that was very important in their culture. And Nebuchadnezzar comes along and says, Hey, you're no longer with that God. You're with me. So he changes all of their names. The name Daniel is a... 
It's a great name. Any Daniels in here? It's a, it's a great name, man. I mean, my dad's name was Daniel. My son's name was going to be Daniel, but he got lost in the swim. Dan, Daniel is a good name. <laughs> Daniel means the Lord is my judge. It's a, it's, a, it's a really good name. There has to be something I say that's inappropriate every week. There... <laughs> It's in my contract. Daniel is the Lord is my judge. The Lord is my judge. Every time Daniel heard his name, it was the Lord is my judge. This is so great. What's his new name? Belteshazzar. You want to be renamed Belteshazzar? You know what that means? May Baal protect his life. Oh, what, Nebuchadnezzar's come along. Hananiah was the guy's name. We know him as Shadrach. Jehovah is gracious is what his name meant. Now his name Shadrach means who is a coup. A coup is, sounds like a Jeopardy show, doesn't it? A coup is a false god that they worship. Mishael was changed to Meshach from who is that who is God. His name El from Elohim was changed to Meshach, which was a coup. Who is a coup? Again, it is about the false god. And Azariah was changed to Abednego, which was something about Nabu, another one of their false gods. See what he did? He took away all their culture. He took away all their language, all of their stuff, and then he changed their name. And the reason I bring that up is because I think it's really important that you understand that sometimes this is going to happen. There are going to be times in your life when you're feeling like you ought to be Daniel, but life is treating you like you're Belteshazzar. And you're like, well, where is the Lord? Where is the, where is the Lord is my judge? Why isn't he here? Why isn't this happening? That's why the story of Daniel is so appropriate for us. Okay, That's why that happens. And it happens all throughout the Bible. That's why I love the Bible. You got Esther, you got Job, you got Joseph in the Old Testament, the dream technicolor dreamcoat guy. You got Mary and Joseph in the New Testament. You got the disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus is arrested and taken away. And they're like, well, wait a minute, where is the Lord our judge? How does this happen? That's why these stories are going on. Because that situation goes on in our life. It goes on globally and it goes on personally. It, it, it does. I mean, you know, every week there's a, there's a Norway thing or there's a, there's a natural disaster or there's something that's going on where globally we realize that the world is not the place that, uh, that we, we think God ought to have it to be. And personally, it happens for us too. Maybe you're going through a divorce. Maybe, maybe it's a work situation or family situation. Maybe it's pain. My mother-in-law's had four back surgeries this summer trying to get past pain. Maybe that's going on in your life. Maybe it's your job. I mean, there's, there can't be a person in this room that doesn't know someone who's lost a job or had a, a real tough economic time during this downturn. And maybe it's you. The, the reason that I, I think this is important is because sometimes I think you go to church and, and the church will tell the story and it's like, oh, this kid was Bieber and he was awesome and he physically flawless and he was this wonderful and he stood up for God and God honored it and he didn't get eaten by the lions and he lived a long life and God blessed him and it all turned out well. What I believe the author of Daniel wants us to understand is to dig deeper and understand that everything is not great, that the lion's den was not the problem. That might have been the pinnacle of the problem, might have been the representation of the problem, but Daniel's entire life was the problem. And I know there are well-meaning Christians out there, when something happens to you, they'll say, well, you know, God works all things together for good for those who love him. Don't you just want to slap them sometimes? Don't you just want to slap a Romans 8.28 on somebody every once in a while? 
You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, yes, we believe that. Yes, Daniel believed that. But sometimes it's stinking hard to be in Babylon right now. And I know you know what I'm talking about. And that's why these stories are in here. Here's Nancy Ortberg on this. Here's the problem with Daniel. When we tell it in a flannel graph story, or at a very cursory level, we focus on the fact that Daniel was handsome, that he was smart, that he was exiled, that he was chosen. And over time, he becomes successful. All of which are true. But the writer's trying to get us to look at the deeper level at what's going on here, at the much more important issues. He has basically lost everything. His homeland was destroyed. Everything that was near and dear to him was taken away with no promise of return. Most likely, she said, (coughs) because he served in the court of the king at 14 or 15 years old, he was probably made a eunuch. Think about that. Additionally, Daniel stayed in Babylon for 65 years. You see, the problem for Daniel, again, it was not the lion's den. It was not the, for Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it wasn't, it wasn't the fiery furnace. It was the entire thing. It was the entire lie. So let me give you some lessons from the life of Daniel over the next several weeks, but especially even today, some things that you can take with you in case you find yourself in Babylon. And the first lesson is to determine to be godly no matter what. Determine to be godly no matter what. Um, Daniel stuck this out. He, he, he stuck out. He made himself known as a person who followed God. Verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine and asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. All right? The king had set it up, which seems like it would have been a good thing to have the king's food, the royal food there, so that they could eat it. Verse 8 is kind of a, a hinge pin in this whole entire story. Because what happens here is up until this time, somebody else has been determining, right? The king determined to go to to, to invade Judah. The king determined to take these kids away. The king determined to put them in his leadership academy. The king determined their menu. But in verse 8, we finally get to the place where Daniel, again, at age 15 probably, says, you know what, I'm going to determine something. That's basically the way the text reads it all out. Somebody determined, somebody determined, somebody determined, and verse 8 says, but Daniel determined. Daniel determines something. He determines not to blend in with the crowd. He determines to live life the way that he believes God wants him to live. He's got to take action. So he goes to the dean of the school. We don't exactly know why, but he says, hey, you know what? I know you're eating Atkins diet and all that stuff, and that's really, really great, but I want to be a vegetarian. We don't know why. There's no command in the Bible to be a vegetarian, thank God. Uh, I mean, it, there's, some, there's some reason in here. Most scholars believe that the meat that Daniel would have been eaten was probably meat that was sacrificed to idols. So what Daniel was saying is, I don't want to have anything to do with that idol worship. I'm going with that one. I think that's important. Because <coughs> I'm not giving up meat. Okay, I mean, you know, God's going to have to come down in an audible voice and tell me if he wants me to cut out the meat. We, we, uh, we love it when the Waters family takes... We have breakfast back here in between services, and it was Waters weekend, or the Rick and Carol Waters weekend. We love that because they always make bacon. It's awesome. It's always a good day. So everybody's happy on the worship team today because we've had bacon. Uh, this is going to become more apparent in chapter 6 when we see that Daniel decides not to, pray, not to stop praying and goes to the lion den, okay? But for whatever reason, he decides that even though he's in captivity, he's going to stand up and do the thing that he believes 
is right for him. And by the way, Saddleback Church out in California has lost a collective 200,000 pounds on the Daniel diet plan. Now, they were already a very large congregation, pun intended. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it might be a good idea, okay? Um, it, it, my question for you is, where is it that you need to make a stand? And I, I don't know if it's diet, I don't know if it's habits, I don't know what it is for you. Where is it that you need to take a stand in your own life? Where is it? And I can't answer that. I mean, there's some black and white things in the Bible, but there's a whole lot of other stuff where you were just thinking, you know what, God, I didn't really think God wants me to do this. And it may just be for you. God wants me to do this. And you've got to understand that Nebuchadnezzar was not like this uh, political leader. He was the king Okay, he didn't have a hands-on management style. He had a heads-off management style. If you didn't like what he you know, wanted to do, he cut your head off. And you say, well, Tim, you don't understand. If I, <coughs> if I, if I, if I, if I stand up for God, people are going to make fun of me. Really? Let me call the wambulance, okay? <laughs> Let me get out my little violin and play for you. Because you know what? Jesus and a whole lot of other of his followers gave up their lives to do the things that God asked them to do. Okay? So whatever it is for you, I really think you and God ought to have some conversation and you ought to figure out what it is that he's calling you to do and make the stand. Okay? But, lesson number two, treat others with respect when you do it. This is fascinating. Uh, Daniel uh, and the official had this, uh, had this discussion and the official said, hey, you know what, the king's going to cut off my head if I don't put you on the same food as everybody else because you're not going to look very good. You know, you're going to look weak. You're going to look emaciated. It's not going to work out. You get to verse 12 and, it's, and Daniel says this, please, notice that word, please test your servants for 10 days. See, he uses his head. Just try this for 10 days. You can't get killed in 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink and compare our appearance with the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away everybody's choice food and put them all on the vegetarian diet. Okay? Well, I'm, I, you know, whatever, however it works. Please notice, what, when Daniel made this decision, why is this important to me? When Daniel made this decision, <coughs> excuse me, he did not shove his beliefs on everybody else. He did not get the people together. He did not get Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego together and start clanging their cups against the bars, you know, and saying, no, heck no, he won't eat me. They didn't start doing that at all. They were, he was very polite. He, he was very respectful as he stood up and did his disagreement because there's got to be a balance here, okay? Once Daniel made this decision, he made a decision to do it respectfully. And I've got to say, as a pastor, I would rather you not take a stand than you do it in a disrespectful way that makes it harder to spread the gospel of Christ. You know what I'm saying? You know, when I deal with non-believers, <clears throat> I usually spend 90% of my time making up for the junk that other Christians have done before to that person before I can ever get to the place where I can actually share the gospel with them. That's the truth of it. 
Heard about a pastor and a priest who were standing with a road sign by the side of the road one day, and, and, and the sign said, the end is near, turn yourself around before it's too late. And one guy came driving by, and he yelled out at him, get out of here, you religious nuts, leave us alone. And he drove off, and pretty, hurt, pretty soon they heard screeching and a splash. And the pastor turned to the priest and he said, do you think we should have just made the sign say, bridge out? <laughs> I think in many ways... <clears throat> Christians are our own worst enemy. I've been preaching here for 21 years. People ask me all the time, you know, what's your long-term goal, Tim? Well, I'll tell you, I do have a long-term goal away from Parkview. I want to be the first missionary on Mars. I mean, if they find life, I don't care what planet it is, Green Lantern's planet, whatever it is, I want to be the first missionary there. I want to be the very first Christian to walk into a place where there are other people there, where nobody has messed it up already. I will be Billy Graham in 24 hours. I mean, how hard is it? You know, the God that made all this stuff, he sent his son Jesus to die for you because he loves you. Everybody's like, bada boom, bada bing, that's not hard. Why should that be so difficult? I'll tell you why it's difficult, because Christians have gotten in the way. Because Christians have stood up in a disrespectful way, or they forced their opinions on everybody else, and they've blown it. Uh, you're going to meet Bill and Rachel Carroll uh, at the end of the service. They uh, are, are missionaries, for lack of a better word, to France. They planted a church in Paris. Well, If you don't know anything about Europe, you, you need to understand how hard it is to do church in Europe. My son-in-law is from England. He wasn't a believer before he met my daughter. I mean, they just, don't, they just don't get... There's been so much junk done in the name of Jesus in Europe that they're making up for it. Please remember how Jesus dealt with his enemies. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Please remember, Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you and turn the other cheek. Yes, Jesus went into the temple and opened up a can on those people. Why did he do that? Because they were the Christian people who were getting in other people's way of finding the love of God. But when it came to the people of the world, Jesus was non-argumentative. He was loving almost to a fault, it would seem to us. And Daniel was too. All the way to the lion's den, Daniel was respectful. He was never a jerk about it. I, you know, I was reading about Saddleback's Daniel plan. I mean, they really, the whole church is like working on this thing together, this, this, this lifestyle change for them. And it's really, really interesting. And I'm reading about it. And of course, I mean, Rick Warren is a lightning rod to all those Christian Pharisees that are out there. I'm reading in the comments. And one of the comments was, isn't that wonderful? At least they will be fit and healthy before most of them end up in the lake of fire for all eternity because they believe the false gospel Rick Warren is proclaiming. There has to be a wall in heaven that those people are on the other side of or I'm going to be opening up a can of temple on them every time I meet them. I believe God's grace will take care of them, but I don't like them. I don't like them at all. I don't understand. People, you know, if, if you get one of these emails about Rick Warren, please talk to me. I, I know Rick Warren. I know what they're doing. I know what he's doing. He's trying to be Daniel, and these other people are idiots, and they're getting in the way, okay? This is what I know. There has to be a balance as you stand up. As you stand up for the things of God, there has to be a balance, okay? Peter said we we're supposed to shine like stars. Jesus said we're supposed to be salt and light, right? Have you ever had too much salt? Have you ever had too much light? 
you have a star that's too bright, that's not good, right? If it's not bright enough, if you don't have enough light, it's not good. I read about these burglars. I don't know what state they were in. I can't make fun of a state. Uh, These burglars had tried to break into a grocery store, and they were using a laser to try to burn through a safe in a grocery store. When the cops got there, the burglars admitted that they had stolen the laser from an amusement park. It was a laser tag gun. <laughs> Not making it up. Jethro, you shining that good? Yeah, I'm trying, man. I, they were there for an hour, they said, and they hadn't made a dent, okay? Not enough light is bad. Too much light is bad. That's why I love the story of Daniel, because he comes along and he stands up, but he doesn't throw it in everybody else's face, which leads me to the end. You have to trust God to work it all out, one way or the other. Daniel exercises very great initiative and courage and faith and even tact and uses his brain really, really well to make all this thing happen. And we see in verse 16 that the guard is so impressed with Daniel and his friends that he puts every, takes everybody's steak away and makes everybody a vegetarian. And you're going to learn next week that God takes Daniel and these guys and he blesses them because of their stand. And Daniel ends up becoming the valedictorian and, and he has a great ability because he stood up and he's been the right amount of light. He has the great ability to go to the king and to change the country and to do a whole lot of great things. But here's my point. Daniel has to discover something in Babylon that he never probably would have discovered in Israel. Let me say that again, because I know nobody likes to be in Babylon. Daniel discovers something in Babylon that he probably never would have discovered in Israel. That God is a God who is big enough even for Babylon. Notice the work of God. In verse 17 it says, To these four young men God gave knowledge. Daniel 1 verse 9, Now God caused the official to show favor. Verse 2, and the Lord delivered. See what God is doing? The writer of the story knows that even what many of the Israelites do not know. He's convinced that the defeat of Judah, he, the writer of this story is convinced that, that the defeat of Judah, that the capturing of Daniel and, and the three guys, that all of this stuff is in the plan of God. The writer of this story knows that God is up to something in Babylon. And I know this is hard to hear, but God is at work in Babylon. And what we'll find out is that God is not only that God is not only at work in Babylon, but that God loves Babylon. And what we're even going to find out is that God even loves Nebuchadnezzar. And I say this because whatever you suffer this day or in the future, I know that the problem is a lot of us are in a situation right now, and we're thinking, "Man, I can't wait for God to get me out of this situation so that He can bless me." Isn't that right? Now, what, that's what I usually do. I mean, how could God bless me in this bad situation? I want him to get me out and bless me out here. Here's what Dallas Willard says about that. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. Let me say that again. God has yet to bless anyone except where they actually are. If we faithlessly discard situation after situation, moment after moment, as not being right... We will simply have no place to receive his kingdom into our life. Isn't that profound? 
I mean, because that's, I don't know, that, that's what I do. I, I end up in Babylon and I'm like, God, just get me back to Israel, man. Just get me back to where I'm supposed to be. I don't like being here. But what if in your Babylon, what if in your Babylon that you go to tomorrow or that you go to in three weeks when you go to college or wherever it is, what if in your Babylon you just look around for the work of God to happen in your life right there? Great story came from one of the old battles, one of the old wars, uh, a, a man was in a regiment and they were fighting and they were getting beaten and, and, and they had to retreat, him and his regiment had to retreat from the opposing forces and they're retreating and they're running away and, and as he's running away he gets separated from the other guys in his battalion and all of a sudden he's all by himself and he realizes he's running and he can hear voices and he can hear gunfire and he's running away from, from the enemy and he's all by himself and he's getting more tired and more tired and worn out. And he realizes that he could probably never outrun these people. And he comes along a rocky ledge and he sees a cave inside this rocky ledge and he thinks to himself, you know what, maybe I'm going to be able to just go in here and hide because I can't run away anymore. So he runs into this cave and he gets back to the back of the cave and he's a Christian and so he drops down to his knees and he, he starts making one of those bargain prayers with God. Ever done that? You know, God, if you get me out of this, then fill in the blank, right? He starts doing that. God, if you will get me out of this, if you will save me, I will become a preacher. I will preach about you for the rest of my life. I will be an evangelist for you. I will tell everybody I know about you. Get me out of this situation. He turns around. And he can still hear voices, he can still hear gunfire, he can still hear people coming. And all he sees, as he looks back from the back of the cave, is a spider that starts to spin a web. And he's watching the spider, and he's thinking about his prayer, and he starts to get mad. Really? This is, this is what you got for me, God? I asked for you to save me, and you send me a spider. And he watches this spider spin a web across the front of the cave. And he's watching, and he's watching, and he's becoming more and more bitter, and more and more angry. And pretty soon he hears the voices, and he resigns himself to the fact that there's no way they're not going to look in this cave, and he's dead. And pretty soon a soldier comes up, sees the cave, looks in the cave, turns around to his buddies and says, can't be anybody in here. There's a spider's web across it turns around and walks away. The man was saved. The man was good on his bargain, became a preacher, an evangelist, told his story everywhere he went. And as he did, he said it really, really well when he would conclude. He said, where God is, a spider's web is as a stone wall. Where God is not, a stone wall is as a spider's web. So we're at the point where we do communion every week. We do it, we do it every week here. And it's just, I think it's so important. It's such a blessing to me to gather around with this body. And it's so great to be in this packed room and, and sing worship. It's just a great worship time today. And to hear the story of Daniel and to be encouraged. And now to have communion and unite ourselves with the body and the blood of our Savior Jesus Christ. And to have all of that stuff going on. That's why we're here. And we need to do this. We need to do this weekly. We need to gather together on a regular basis and do this. But I want you to, as you take these elements right now, I want you to remember that as you go to Babylon tomorrow, 
or this afternoon or whatever it is for you, wherever it is that you're going to go and, and, and you're not sure God is there, remember that He still is. Remember that God has never been able to bless anyone except where they actually are. And He wants to be in your Babylon. He cares as much about your Babylon as He does about the people that are in this room right now. And that's why He sent His only begotten Son that whoever including Nebuchadnezzar, believes in him, would not perish but have everlasting life. Let's pray together. Lord, if there are people in here who uh, didn't know that, I pray that um, somehow through your word today, maybe they figured out that any of that bad Christian baggage that they've been through in their life, it, it was not what you wanted. And really, it's a simple message It's a simple John 3.16 thing that whoever believes in me will not perish but have everlasting life. Let let us believe you. Everybody in this room right now, open up our hearts and say, Jesus, we do believe in you. We do want to follow you. For all of us, Lord, however easy it may be for us to believe that right now in this room, especially as we eat this bread and drink this, this juice, it's easy for us to remember, and that's why you've given us these elements, but... We won't have communion probably tomorrow. Uh, we, we won't have this worship going on. We won't have this feeling of all being together like this tomorrow when we're in Babylon. And I want to pray that you'll be with us as we go and help us to remember that you are still there and where you are, a spider's web is as a stone wall. Help us to remember in Jesus' name. Amen.